0: What a wonderful opportunity. Good morning, everybody. Good seeing you all. And um, it's my opportunity to um, uh, present the word this morning. And um, I'm looking forward to our opportunity. So can we join our hearts um, together? And um, I'm convinced that God has brought you here for a reason. He makes no mistakes. There's nothing by accident. So my prayer is that um, somehow uh, through this time in worship, the time in the word, he will do what he does. Custom designed the application to exactly where you are at this moment. Would you join me as we pray this? Father, we bow before the God who runs after us. We bow before the God who has made all things and has responded to our rebellion by pursuing us to redeem us. What a God. Every one of us in this room were made by you and for you. And by the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, you have restored us to you. But you're not done with us. You've got work to do. Both in us and through us. As individuals, but also as a faith community that seeks to reflect you to the universe, to the world. So, Father, we pray that you are honored. Our Lord Jesus is lifted up. And we pray that our precious friend, the Holy Spirit of living God, would show up and do what he does. We entrust our time to you, that your name might be lifted up. Through Christ our Lord, we pray this. And all God's people together say, Amen. I love wrestling. Now, you got to take some things by faith. I'm really old, (laughs) but I actually um, wrestled a little bit in college, a little bitty school, okay? Uh, But wrestling's wrestling. But on the other hand, when I say wrestling, I have to define what I mean because it means different things for different people. There's wrestling. Wrestling's is when any two adults or children look at each other and go, let's get at it. Okay, that's wrestling. Then there's uh, big time wrestling, the WWE, okay? And I had to do a little uh, research here, and uh, Jacob uh, does a little shout out. Uh, well, I don't know where you are, but thank you. He's in Detroit Children's. Um, thank you, because I had to get contemporary with some of the new stars here. Um, like Cody Rhodes, I have no idea. Okay, you probably, maybe you, you out there. Yeah, you're, 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 all right, I got an Adam shout out there. Um, and Apparently, Roman Reigns and Rey Mysterio. I don't know, again, I, I don't know. Um, when I was a kid, um, it was the Sheik. And uh, Bobro Brazil, Andre the Giant. Um, and uh, let's see, oh yeah, Haystack Calhoun, all right. Now, um, the more contemporary version, Hulk Hogan, Dwayne Johnson, he stole my name, but he's too big for me to argue with him, okay. Um, John Cena, or apparently, uh, Cena, oh, thank you for the correction, oh, oh, I hit a sore spot in Brittany back there, okay, all right, um, whew, whew, all right, there, there, well, th- this is great, because this is just like my grandpa, my grandpa justice, okay, um, my grandpa justice, he's with the Lord now, a long time. But he was an avid big-time wrestling fan. In fact, um, we would go around and around. I was in high school wrestling at the time. And, um, <laughs> and we would go around and around. This. He thought this was all real, okay? And um, we actually went down to the um, Cincinnati Gardens and actually watched about. It was a blast, okay, the whole, I think. Um, and then when I was in college uh, wrestling, I, I finally thought I had him. I said, Grandpa, do you realize that you can bet in Las Vegas on horses, any sport? You can bet on anything. But you know what? you can't bet on Grandpa? Big-time wrestling. <laughs> I thought I had him. Well, guess what? Now that doesn't work. Because <laughs> you can even bet on that Oh yeah, that's crazy. Well, that's big-time wrestling. But I hate to bust your bubble. It's athletic. Trust me, it's athletic. You can break your body doing this. But it's predetermined outcomes. I'm a wrestling fan when two athletes get on a mat, hopefully relatively close to the same weight. Because there have been times I've, re- I've weighed in, and then eight hours later, when the match starts, I'm weighing 15 pounds more, but it doesn't matter. I've already weighed in. Anyway, that's another point. Um, But it's not a predetermined outcome. You go at it. High school was six minutes. College was eight. It seemed like eternity. And our own pastor just duped it out yesterday. I don't know how long your matches are, but they're long. I mean, five, six minutes, it feels like Forever but it's a pre, not a predetermined outcome. And at the end of the match, somebody's hand gets raised. I'm going to talk about a big-time wrestling that is real. It's as real as your very fears are real. It's a big-time wrestling between your fears and your faith in the living God. It's at the core of human reality. It's a genuine fear. And I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 32 if you have your Bible because we're going to talk about a big time wrestling match and it's in Genesis 32. Now our fears can look a whole lot of different ways. It can be the fear of paying the next bill. It could be the fear of having just gotten a diagnosis that we're not sure about. It can be the fear of being alone. Fears come in a lot of ways. But you know what? One of the greatest fears is our past. Broken relationships that we have broken. The damage of things that we have done. And sometimes that fear, coming to terms with that, can actually be the greatest of fears. And that's where we're going in Genesis 32. Now, as we turn there, we're like jumping in the middle of an epic movie. So we got to back up and give you a little bit of context here. First, Genesis, the book of Genesis, is answering a question. How does the creator God, who is good and powerful, who creates in chapter 1 of Genesis, he's the creator God, he makes everything perfect and wonderful for the human He creates them in his own image to reflect him over his creation and to rule in his place. So the human is both um, royal, king and queen, and priest to represent him. And they're to multiply his rule over the earth. That's their mandate. Wow. What a mission. What an identity. But what happens? You all know the story. Chapter 3. The human listens to the deception of the evil one who says, no, no, no. He's really not good. He's an ogre. Oh, by the way, he's not powerful. He's a wimp. And so what you really need to do to get the good stuff is you need to rebel. You need to go autonomous. You need to go on yourself and make yourself divine. Oh, by the way, that sounds like um, American History 101. If you've read Ralph Waldo Emerson, there's a little thing called self-reliant that's the fabric of what it means to be American. Now hold it. When you distort that, which is exactly what's happened in American culture, you end up with Genesis chapter 3. I'm my own God. I get to choose, and I'm going to take whatever is good God, regardless of what you do about it. Well, guess what happened? It didn't work out too well. In Genesis chapter 3, we also see at the end of the story with this great creator, God is also, yes, he is powerful. Yes, he is good, but he's also holy. And he says, you're out of my garden. And so what's ever been every human urge that you and I have, and you can study addictions. I've done that all my life. Okay, for 50 years I've studied this whole stuff. Every addiction is about trying to create Eden on our own. We try to... Find the goodness of God, whether it's sex or food or any other pleasure. You can imagine in your own little brain and say, no, I'm going to get it. Mm, God, I don't care about you. I'm just going to do all this. He goes, wait a minute. Now, what happens? Rather than simply exiling the human forever, now think about this. Genesis 3, broken relationship, rooted in autonomy from God, the effect Distance. Remember that word, distance. Distance from God. Well, fast forward. You know how it works out. Chapter 4, two brothers have a religious argument. Cain kills Abel. Oh, this distance from God is going to get further distance. Let's fast forward. The human does everything to potentially destroy the human. And God says, Noah, I have a job for you. I'm going to do radical surgery on this human race. And Noah and the flood story, not done. The Tower of Babel. The human again, after the flood, again begins to, we're going to be Master of our destiny. Again, sounds like American culture. Again, no, there's nothing wrong with being self-reliant. I want you to be able to take care of yourself, pay your own bills. Do all, that's great, but that's different than being your own little god, your own little goddess, where the world result, resolves around you. Okay, let's get moving. This god, though, rather than actually jettison the human race, says, "I got a plan." I've launched it in chapter three, but now I'm gonna take this big, broad picture and I'm gonna to go to one man. And so he comes to Abram in Iraq and says, Abram, leave. And so we leave your homeland, go to the place I'm gonna tell you, and I'm gonna promise you a descendants. I'm gonna give you a nation, seed descendants, and through you, all nations on the earth are gonna be blessed blessing is back remember that word blessing it's very important for our story blessing's back now fast forward abraham goes to canaan he has a son isaac who has twin boys esau and jacob so the line of abraham is moving forward to fulfill the blessing where do we end up at the end of the book of genesis anybody remember where do we physically egypt so one of the major questions in the book of Genesis is, how does God go this God who makes a covenant with Abraham, how do his descendants end up in Egypt, therefore needing rescue in, in Exodus? So Genesis is a giant prologue in many ways, to the book of Exodus. All right, to our story. Remember in chapter 28, Jacob, so one of the blessings. Remember that term? He wanted God's blessing, and that's a wonderful thing. But what did he do to get it? He dupes his brother to take the right of the firstborn. He deceives his own father by even dressing like Esau, his brother, smelling like Esau, his brother, and trying to fake the voice, but dad doesn't quite buy that, but he's hungry, and so he eats the. And here's what happens. Isaac gives the blessing to his son, Jacob, that belonged to Esau. Now, you go, wow, eh, that's just the words. <laughs> Hold it. How would you like it if your uh, dad says, I'm going to go write down my will today? Oh, dad, um, whoops. And you get scratched out, and your other family member takes everything from you. A blessing was a verbal commitment. It was an oral will. It was a contract. And it was also intended to imply your future. Because what it was doing was invoking God to make this happen. To make this a reality. And so it was unequivocal. He could not change it. And when, Jay, when Esau finds out, what does Esau say? When dad's dead, you're dead. And Rebecca, mama, who was behind this whole thing, finds out and sends Jacob away. It's been 20 years, gang. 20 years. In the immediate preceding chapter, chapter 31, verse 3, the Lord comes to Jacob and says, okay, Jacob, it's time. 20 years. Go home. Esau. Is still on the horizon. 20 years of Esau in the rearview mirror. Now he's going to be right in front of his headlights. That's where we are. Are you guys ready? Are you getting a sense of what we're about here? Chapter 32. Jacob also went on his way. Now, in immediately preceding, his uncle had just chased him for three days um, and caught up with him. This is amazing, because normally this is a more than a week's journey, and he did it in three days because he is motivated. Laban wants to catch him. But his uncle, God actually appears to Laban, his uncle, uh, Jacob's uncle, in a dream and says, don't touch him, don't talk to him. The Lord protects Jacob. The Lord had told Jacob to go home, and he's protecting him. But now he comes back home. Verse one Jacob also went on his way, and Laban went back to uh, Haran about 400 miles. We're talking from here to Washington, D.C. He's going. And that whole Laban connection, that whole Mesopotamian co- uh, connection, is now no longer a part of the story of Israel. We've got a major narrative shift. It's done. Laban is walking off the stage. Goodbye. We won't see him again. But notice the verse. And the angels of God met him. Hold it. Angels of God. Huh. This is kind of interesting. Because what happened in Genesis 28 when Jacob was running out, heading to that same destination, 20 years earlier, and as a Jacob preached a couple weeks ago. He's laying on a rock with his uh, garment as a pillow, and he has a dream. And angels come up and down that ladder, affirming that God is with him and will protect him. And the Lord speaks directly. And this is what he said to him Know that I will be with you and keep you wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. That's 20 years earlier. And here he shows up. Angels say hello. They don't say a word. He just somehow knows they're there and God is protecting him. Now notice what he names it. This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Mahanayim simply means camps, plural. That's all it means. Oh, I've got my camp, my entourage, my family, my stuff, all those with me. Oh, but God is right here with me. That should be enough. I'm safe. God's promised me. Now, remember, this story I'm getting ready to preach and continue to talk about is not about how to come to know Jesus as your Savior. This is not. This is about how do I, as a follower of God through Jesus Christ, deal with the stuff in my life. That's what this is about. This is about the God who says, I'm coming for you. But then what happens? Verse 3. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Neighbors. He instructed them, this is what you're to say to my Lord. Note the language here. My Lord Esau. Your servant, note the language. Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban, our uncle, and have remained there till now. And I've got all this good stuff. Now I am sending this message to my Lord. My Lord, note the language. Why? That I might find favor, chen in Hebrew, in your eyes. Chen means that I might get favor from you who are greater than me, that you can favor me. I don't have anything that would force you to do that, so I'm asking you to have favor toward me. You guys know what the word grace means? This is it. This is the word that will be translated grace later on. Okay, find favor. When the message returned, so, so far so good. Hey, brother, let's have a reunion. So he sends it. Now, the word gift here is very interesting. I'm going to talk about that later on. Um, I'm going to talk more about it in detail. But before we get there, he goes, notice verse 7. In great fear and distress, Jacob did something. So the first thing is panic. You don't get a huge amount of emotional descriptions in Old Testament material. You get one here. This is unusual. Jacob is a very, very powerful human being. When he met uh, Rachel, his future wife, when he takes the lid off of that um, well all by himself, he's showing off. He say, "Hey Rachel, look at this." Okay. So he's the, he's a powerful human being, but right now he is paralyzed by fear. Maslow, oh I'll get there in a second. But notice why he says, "We went to your brother Esau." Great. Now he's coming to meet you. Wonderful. Reunion. Oh, by the way, he's got 400 men with him. These are warriors. In great fear and distress, he now acts. So next he plans. Notice what he's going to do. Aha, Jacob, always the planner, always the man with the plan, always the man of action. Always the man to get whatever blessing he can, any way he can. Oops. Let's see. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two camps. Huh, we've heard that before. I think he got an idea. Ooh, ooh, okay. He does it. Flocks and herds. If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. So he panics, he plans, and then he prays. One of the best prayers in the Old Testament. If you want to learn how to pray, read this. This is amazing. Listen to the words. Oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, our covenant God, you said to me, this is a great way to pray. Lord, I'm basing this prayer on what you've told me. I'm taking you to the bank based on what you've said great prayer. You've told me go back to your country and your relatives immediate preceding chapter and I will make you prosper verse 10 oh good I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only a staff when I crossed this Jordan. I had my backpack and a staff to get me there but now I've become what? You see it? Two camps. Wow Save me. That's the prayer. Save me, I pray. And by the way, that is a wonderful salvation prayer because that's what it says. Save me. For I'm afraid he'll come and attack me, also mom and kids. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and and your descendants will be like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. All right. He has a plan. He's then going to launch it He's going to send a gift, verse 13. So we have panic, we have a plan, we have prayer, and now we have presence. Don't you like that? Just the little, okay, sorry, guys. Presence, okay? So he's going to send presents. Um, again, these are mencha um, in Hebrew. Why do I say that? I'm not trying to flash this. It's just an important term. This is a sacrificial term. This is an offering that attempts to turn his rightful anger, and we're going to see this language here. Where do you see anger in someone first? Their face. Their face toward you is hard and angry and vicious. He says, I'm going to send this, these gifts, these minka, these offerings, these peace offerings, so that, Why? His face is going to change toward me. This is very important. The image of face is going to be very important in our story. So keep it in mind. Okay. So he sends, and I'm not going to elaborate this, but he sends three groups, a total of 500-plus livestock in three waves. But notice what everyone is going to say to, them, to him. Notice verse 19 and following. He's going to say, be sure to say, your servant, note the word, your servant Jacob is coming behind us, for he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts. The word pacify here, everybody here heard the expression Yom Kippur, day of atonement? This is the word. And if, by the way, just a little, no extra charge for this, but if you want to know what a good theological uh, term means, find how it's used in a non-theological context. Find how it's used normally. This is a powerful picture. He says, by these gifts, by these menka, I'm hoping that I will atone. I'm going to appease his appropriate anger toward me. And so his face is going to go from to that's it. You want to know what atonement is? I just explained it. It's to change the nature of this relationship from appropriate, and that's an important word. Esau has a rightful beef here. Appropriate hostility, appropriate alienation. To a different kind of relationship. By appeasing, by appropriately pacifying. Okay, there we go. He might receive me. So Jacob, verse 21, went on ahead of him. I'm sorry, the gifts went ahead of him, but he is in the camp alone. First point. Is our fears wrestle with our faith in God? What are you doing, God? We have a tendency to ignore our emotions, to bury them, to numb them, to anesthetize them, but maybe, as we're going to see here, God is using them to tell us something. I love the next part of the story. That night, verse 22, Jacob got up, and um, can we take the next slide here, because I want to show you where Jacob is here. Do we have the, uh, okay, cool, cool. Um, I want to show you where Jacob is here. This is important in our story. Remember, uh, Jacob had left Canaan. He'd gone all the way to Haran. And this shows his journey from Bethel is where he um, slept on the rock. He headed north to Haran. Now, 20 years later, he's back. But where is he? He's right here on this river. Can I have the next slide? Perfect. This river right here is called the Yabak. Note that the J is a Y sound in Hebrew, and the B and the Q, well, it's a Q in Hebrew or a K sound. That little river goes east and west. It's the boundary between Mesopotamia and Canaan. This is huge. Don't miss this. I'll show you why you're here. You might give me the next slide. Okay, do I have a little slide with all the Hebrew stuff on it? No? That's okay. I know it. Here we go. Um, let's see, it's the previous page? Oh, yeah, it's perfect. Notice what happens here. Um, during the night, Jacob, this, by the way, is a real um, challenging stream. It's called Yabak or Yabak. Because that means to writhe. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Um, now, there's going to be a really important thing happen here. Let's watch it. He's at the Yabbok, which means to struggle or to writhe. So it's a writhing stream. It's deep. It's a challenge. But during the darkness of night, Jacob is actually going to Send all of his family over, back and forth, back and forth. And he is left. And it says here, verse 24, it's at night. Jacob was left alone. He's alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Wow. Who? Right now, we just know it's a man. Is it one of Esau's? Who is it? We don't know. But he wrestled with him. As I said, six minutes, long time. Eight minutes, crazy. All night. Jacob's strong, but this, whoever he's duking it out with, whoo! The word wrestle... Yabak, Y-B-Q sound. Yabek. Y-B-Q sound. Jacob, Y-Q-B sound. Now, this is called assonance, if you know ling, uh, literature at all, but this means you better not miss this, and you can't if you're reading it. This is the Yabak moment. The Lord is not going to let Jacob go back into Canaan, the same man he was. The Lord himself is going to pick this fight. A man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, this is like me wrestling with my little boy when he was seven. He was tough. He'd come around the corner. All of a sudden, he's grabbing, picking my ankle, shoulder and my knee, and I'm oh. And we tussle. But this being has tussled with him. And all of a sudden the light's going to come up. The sun is getting coming up. And we again, nothing described here, but notice what happens. When the man saw that he could not overpower him with normal human physical strength, Jacob is one bad dude. He touched the, the socket of Jacob's hip. His hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. One powerful blow, and Jacob is on the ground. But Jacob is not done. Jacob is holding on to dear life. He is not going to let go. And if you, by the way, know, grip is one of the most important things in a wrestling. Jacob ain't letting go. Now, according to Hosea, who comments on this, Jacob is on his back crying like a baby, but he ain't done. He's going to hold on to dear life. And somehow in the midst of this night brawl, Jacob's eyes have become open. He knows he's wrestling with God. Notice what happens. I will not let you go until you what? Notice it there. Bless me. You notice what he was willing to do with his brother to get blessing. But now he knows the only one I'm going to get blessing is if you choose to give it to me. And I'm not letting you go until you give it to me. You are the source of my blessing and I want it. But Jacob, there's something we've got to do first. How many of you in this room would say, hey, Dwayne, I would love to see God face to face. I'd love to see his face. <laughs> well, yeah. I love that statement in the uh, Beatitudes when our Lord says, um, blessed are the pure of heart, because they will what? See God. But notice the first part, pure of heart. Okay, great. I'm so glad you signed up for that. But we got work to do. Woo. Jacob. <laughs> Notice verse 27. What is your name? What's going on here? Is God not aware of Jacob's name? No, 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 no. This is the moment that Jacob will have to own who he is. Mama and Daddy named me Catch. And they probably meant, may he catch God's blessing or some pretty cool thing like that. But, well, what I did was deceive my brother, catch his inheritance, take it. And so I'm really Yaakov, deceiver, conniver, manipulator, self-man-man. Oh, ouch. Ouch. All of that. Some of you are familiar with the 12-step um, programs, where a person's very first um, step toward recovery is sitting with a bu- group of other people and say, "Hi, my name is, and I am a." That's a yabec moment. That's a moment in each of our lives. And by the way, remember who's creating this moment here? It's Yahweh. It's God himself. And says, we got work to do. I want to bless you. I'm going to bless you. But right now, I'm going to cripple you. I'm going to get you on your back so you get it. In the book Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis He asks this question, do you want a God who loves you? Again, everybody says, of course I do. You have one. He's the consuming fire himself. And by the way, I'm going to paraphrase him. He's not this wimpy little, oh, do whatever you want. I'm a party animal God. Let's go for it. No, no, no. He cares so much about you and me. He says, I'm coming after everything in you that's unlike me. And I'm not going to finish until I'm done with you. And then we're going to be able to hug each other. And then you're going to share me and my life and everything I have for you. I'm not done with you. Just getting started. It's funny because uh, Lewis also mentions in A Grief Observed, um, how in the world can we, we talked about how good God is, right, in our song this morning. You are so good. You are so good. How do we match that with his love, but also the pain of life? He was writing this from having lost his wife through cancer. How could he face that? And Lewis writes this. What do you mean when you say, I'm not afraid of a God because I know he's good? I'm not afraid of him. I know he's so good. Have you never been to a dentist? Who says, I love you, I'm going to help you, but open up, this is going to hurt. <laughs> Ouch. This is the God who actually is coming after you and me. But notice something. God uses that yabbit moment to confront us. This fear becomes a moment in which God shows up and says, here, we got things to deal with, and I am wrestling with you to deal with your self-sufficiency or whatever else it is. But notice how we go. Next verse. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with human beings, according to this context, Laban in the past, but also Esau in the immediate, and have over- overcome. How did he wrestle? How did he overcome with God? Because he surrendered to God and held on, and in his brokenness, he wins the blessing. He gets blessing. That's how he prevails. But he's doing it on his back. It's funny, because when you wrestle and you get your hand raised, you're normally victorious. But here is Jacob getting his hand raised on his back. Because the one holding on to it is doing this. And it's from this position I'm going to bless your socks off. Do we get this? You're no longer going to be called Yahov. Yisrael. Sarah is a very rare word, but it actually means to struggle and valiantly and to prevail. Now, why is this significant? Because remember something. We talk about this, and it's important to remember the original context of this story. There's a story of Esau, and we're going to wrap that up in a second, but it's also the story of Israel. When the Israelites hear this story about their founding patriarch, what's the nation's name? Israel. Israel. Oh, Dad, how did we get the name Ohio? Well, it's an Indian word that means beautiful, beautiful river. Can make. Oh, okay. Hey, Dad, how did we get the name Israel? Well, our patriarch, Jacob, duked it out with God, and he did okay, because he, like this, and he, oh, that's how we got named Israel, and it means God fights for us. Now, why is that important? Because where are they camped? They're camped on the same river bank, Jordan River, a little south of where Jacob is, right here, they're camped at Moab, preparing to do what? Cross the Jordan River and to go in. It will not be by their own might or their own power. It will be by the spirit of the living God that will actually accomplish this. Remember in um, Joshua 5, they're, getting, they're planning. Joshua's sitting there putting uh, plans in the dirt. You know, he's, and all of a sudden, he looks up and here, oh, there's a warrior. Who are you? Are you for us or enemy? Neither. As captain of the Lord's armies, I'm here. Take off your sandals, J- uh, Joshua. You're on holy ground. Ooh. And the Lord himself that we would later believe is the pre-incarnate view of Jesus himself shows up and gives us his battle plans. And what are your battle plans? Well, go around um, Jericho seven times, shout my name, and I'll do the rest. Woo! Israel's going to learn that it's, again, not by might, not by power. It's by the Spirit. It's God himself who will be their source of victory. Israel! Well, new name. The confession began the point of transformation. The new name. And notice what he names the place. He will say, Oh, by the way, I, gotta on. Uh, I got to move. I got four minutes. Jacob then noticed something. His fear totally is transformed. You notice how his f- fear is totally transformed. In the face of God. It becomes bold faith. And notice what he says: Tell me your name. So here's Jacob. Tell me your name. Who are you? What's your name? Now, in the ancient world, to know the name of a deity meant you can manipulate the deity. You would know what eat food he liked. You would know whatever else. And you just throw it at him and say, Oh, I want this. Okay. Yahweh doesn't give him his name. But instead, he blesses them there. And then Jacob calls the place Peniel, because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. Exodus 33, 20, the Lord tells Moses, anyone who sees me dies. Well, this is an exception, and Jacob knows it. Now, what's really fun is, watch this, then he, the sun rises above as he passes Peniel. He's limping, and there's this wonderful little description here that from that point on, And by the way, even 3,700 years later, Orthodox Jews still don't eat this part of the meat. They'll eat anything in a cow or a lamb or a goat, uh, but they won't eat this. So here's 3,700 years years later remembering the importance of this day. Every time you hear the name Israel, you remember this event. Every time you hear the name Israel, you remember this event. It's this God who fights for us. But sometimes he has to fight with us in order to bless us. They won't eat it. But then notice verse 30, uh, chapter 1. I'm going to get quickly to the story here. Jacob looks up, and there's Esau. Sun up, Yahweh gone, Woo! there's Esau. Hey, bro. Jacob's different. Watch what happens here. I don't want to go into details, but this may summarize the story. Rather than sending everybody else in front and him in back, Jacob goes straight up front. Something's happened. And Jacob goes up and he meets his brother. And God has already met Esau beforehand. And what happens? It's an amazing picture. Verse 4. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. By the way, if you um, have read Luke chapter 15, verse 20, you may see similar language. Oh, yeah. It's the language of the father, the prodigal uh, son's father embracing him and weeping. It's the same story embracing. Then Esau looked up and saw who are these women and children? And notice um, verse 10. I have everything, Esau said. Um, Esau said, I've already plenty of myself. I, take back everything you gave me. Jacob is going to refuse. It's going to become important because what is Jacob doing? Jacob is actually returning the blessing, he's returning what he ripped off. It's restoration. Do you remember um, uh, Zacchaeus, the wee little man? Everybody ripped off, I'm gonna pay back. Wow. Dealing with the past sometimes means owning it, and that's exactly what he does here. But notice verse um, 10 To see you, your face is like seeing the face of God. Whoa, you get this? Restore relationships is like seeing God right in the face. Because what's happened is this anger, appropriate anger has been changed to hi. That's like seeing the face of God. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, his face changes toward us because he's saying, come on, come on, I've done a whole lot to make this work. Verse 20 of chapter 33. Esau wants Jacob to come back with him. He says no. He refuses. But then gets back to Canaan. And there he set up an altar. This is a pillar. Remember, just as he left the country, he set up a pillar, Bethel. Now he's going to set up a pillar, El, Elohe Israel, the strong God, El is God of Israel, my God, this mighty, strong God. When we tell a story of the Bible in the Old Testament, we need three levels. One, the level of the story. That's Esau and, and Jacob. The story is now closed. It's reconciled. That story, that saga is ended. The other sto- a level, it's like, a, um, it's like an elevator in a building The ground level is the narrative story, Jacob and Esau. The second level in the the story is Israel. And we talked about that one. The third level is the whole biblical story, Genesis to Revelation. Remember, there's another man in the New Testament whose name gets changed. He was named after one of the Maccabee brothers. You know him as Simon. But the Lord, even knowing that Simon Peter was going to blow it, would say, from now on, people are going to call you Rock. See, it just came to me. Rock, Dwayne Johnson. I'm sorry, guys. Right. It's just the wrestling thing. I'm trying to throw it in there. Right. Um, Rock. Cephas in Aramaic, okay? Okay. Um, Patros in Greek. Now think about Matthew 14. I love this text because um, they're in a boat and the boat's going crazy on the on the Galilee, and Jesus is walking on the water toward them, right? And um, they think Jesus is a ghost. They're freaking. Who are you really? You yeah. tell us to come to you. Simon Peter says, "All right, okay, come on." And so here's Simon. Hmm? On the water. So far, so good. And then he sees, oh, he's under. What's he do? Jesus goes down. The same hand that wounded Jacob was the same hand that reached down and grabbed Simon Peter. It's the same hand that wants to touch your life. Every one of us will have a yabak. But we allow that fear to bring us face to face. To see the face of the God who wants to rescue us. He did it in his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Seeing you face to face allows us to see any other human being eye to eye, and may you accomplish what you want to do through this word, through our Lord Jesus, who has touched every one of our lives, and for the glory of his name we pray this. Amen.